pick cool people to be friends with, Freddie. Where'd you find this guy? Come on, let's go. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And welcome everybody to the very first of our bonus episodes. Yes, this is pretty exciting. And I would argue that Freddie, there's nothing wrong with Freddie's selection of friends. Agreed. Daniel's a cool dude, though arguably he doesn't give the best first impressions. I would say that like the phrase pick your battles was almost invented for Daniel. For Daniel LaRusso, yeah. Yeah, here's a, <laughs> a, a boombox that's about to get wrecked. I'm going to get my ass I'm going to get wrecked. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was just the first of many uh, butt kickings. And in case you don't know what we're talking what about. What are we talking about even? We're talking about The Karate Kid. 1984 is The Karate Kid. Correct. Yeah. And Derek, why why are we revisiting this? Because we did actually have our Karate Kid episode. So the voice that you just heard kind of suggesting that Freddy's not that great at picking friends was the voice of the character Billy, mm-hmm. played by today's guest, Jeffrey Bryan. Correct. We are so thrilled to have this gentleman on our show. And what's really interesting, and the reason why it's a bonus episode, is because typically... You know, when we have a guest on, we'll have them on for a very specific purpose in terms of like discussing one film that we're going to be highlighting in that yep. episode. And the reason why this is different is because so Jeffrey Bryan, he has. Well, OK, I'm just going to put it out there. He is among the cast of The Karate Kid. He is. So that is incredibly cool. He, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And. So not only has he been part of this phenomenal film, of course, one of our most beloved 80s movies, he also just, you know, yeah, don't do, forget about don't forget hot, hot moves. moves. Yeah. No. Also an 84 film. So he had this career when he was a kid as an actor, but well, before and after his time in the movies, he has been a lifelong musician, has a really prolific career that we talked to him about and on top of everything else, he is currently the keyboardist for the band Survivor. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. I mean, he's been in music since, uh, and, and performing in front of large groups of people since he was 13 years old. Exactly. And so we just had this really awesome opportunity to speak to him, not just about Karate Kid, not just about even Hot Moves, but also about his time as a musician and specifically with Survivor. Survivor, what makes that so cool is even though this is a band that has thrived for several decades, they have so many 80s hits, uh, namely oh, yeah. Eye of the Tiger. I mean, they have, the, yeah, I think they're they're probably most well-known for Eye of the Tiger from Rocky Three, mm-hmm. but they also have Hearts on Fire mm-hmm. in Rocky Four, And, you know, we're talking about Rocky, Survivor. There is so much crossover between the Rocky franchise, Karate Kid, Mm -hmm. Survivor, and Mm -hmm. we'll definitely get into more of that. So how about we get into that like right now? I I mean, I don't see any reason not to. Let's do it. Let's do it. And we are here with Jeffrey Bryan. We are so thrilled to have this gentleman on the show. Jeffrey, he has been an actor. He is a singer. He is a composer. He is a guitar player. And also, he currently is the keyboard player for the band Survivor. So Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> we are Hi, honestly like so stoked because typically with our guests, you know, they're they're on the show for something really specific, which is usually discussing like one of the films. And right. 
now we get to have somebody who has actually all these different ways of being connected to the 80s. And we really just appreciate that you are taking the time to be with us. So thank you again. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking with both of you guys. It's, it should be fun. It, it, yeah, we're super excited. So I think what we're going to do is start with the, all those movie connections that you have with the 80s because that kind of came at the beginning of your career. And in particular, in case our audience didn't already know this, you were part of the cast of The Karate Kid. Yeah. Yeah, the original. Well, is there another one? There is not. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Yeah, that was actually really awesome because <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't really. Let's 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 just so. let's just you know <laughs> let's let's address that gorilla in the room right now. Karate Kid One. That's that's the movie exactly. we're talking about. Um, Nineteen eighty four. Eighty four. Right. Yeah. Um, the, it, oh yes. Oh, I'm, well, I was I was I was just going to say uh, that was not my first movie, but it was my first big movie that I had. Um, uh, been a part of. And, um, yeah, Karate Kid was, was a very interesting experience. And, uh, so anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So you go ahead. Sorry. No, not at all. Well, actually I'm curious then. Cause like what, you know, I don't know if it was maybe flipped. We also know that you were in the other eighties film hot moves. Did that come prior to Karate Kid as far as filming? Yeah. In fact, that was the okay. first feature film that I had been in but oddly enough, it didn't actually release until after Karate Kid. So, okay. so okay. you know, th- when re- when I think back, it, it does seem flipped, but it, in my mind, it's not. So, yeah. got it. And now, you know, again, so our audience is aware, you're an individual. You're from LA, grew up yeah. here, and so I'm curious. You know, as far as like your film work is concerned, is that you know you've also been a a person whose whole life has involved music, but was being part of these films something that was just kind of fun for you as a kid? Or did you maybe think that there was going to be a film career ahead of you? What What was your interest in these films? Well, to be honest, it wasn't fun in the sense that, uh, you know, most most kids that want to be an actor or an actress, you know, they're they're studying for that or they they're interested in it. And, they, you know, they're they're going to to plays or shows or watching lots of TV shows. Um, I was never considering I never considered myself to be an actor and hmm. I wasn't really trying to be an actor. Uh, I was singing and that was my main thing. I was a singer. That's how I started in the music. And, um, I wasn't even, I mean, I played keyboards, I played guitar, but I really just to accompany myself, uh, I hadn't really considered it to be a career. I, I was kind of studying voice. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a rock and roll singer and, um, you know, the acting kind of fell on, you know, when in Hollywood, you know, or in the movie industry, the music industry, the entertainment business, it's all you know, kind of lumped together. So if some, so an opportunity mm-hmm. comes to you that isn't say in, in your, you know, in your realm of things that you absolutely do, but it's entertainment related, you take it, you know, right and, on. um, you don't say no to, yeah, to you know, right. and so, uh, the acting kind of found me, I, I wasn't looking for it. I was trying to, uh, to put bands together and perform. And I was really young. I was probably what 16 or 17, and I was mm-hmm. I was performing in a show called Too Young for Primetime Players <laughs> at the Roxy uh, on that, Sunset yeah. Boulevard, believe it or not. On Sundays, it was converted to sort of a chil- children matinee show where it was a variety show. 
That's and, wild. Um, That's so yeah. wild. Yeah. yeah. At the Roxy? It, it, wow. it was a bizarre 80s thing, I guess, because, I mean, uh, you know, the Roxy and, you know, places like that, Whiskey and Gazaris, they were considered, you know, heavy metal places. And yeah. Um, yeah. and here were these kids ranging from five to, to 16 <laughs> years old, taking over the Roxy on a Sunday to perform for kids. It was kind of a, a very unusual and became very newsworthy. And because of that, uh, I guess uh, it was Merv Griffin, the Merv Griffin show. I'm really going to show my age here, but um, Merv Griffin yeah. was, uh, if for those that didn't know, he was kind of like the Johnny Carson counterpoint, counterpart. Yeah. Huge, huge yeah, it was, in terms of having, like, kind of being the forefront of those types of yeah, shows. Yeah, I mean, there was Johnny Carson and there was Merv Griffin. I mean, th those were the mm -hmm. two biggies. Anyway, the Merv Griffin show had done a segment, actually a couple segments on this show that was, you know, this kid's show that I happened to be involved in. And um, so they elected to put a bunch of guys, a bunch of kids that were in the show on uh, on a couple of the segments. And I was chosen to to sing. And um, it was because of that I fell into acting. I saw an, a manager that had been working with some of the other kids in the show. I looked really young for my age. Um, and that's really mm -hmm. beneficial because if you're 18 and you can still play 14, it saves the studios a lot of money. Yeah, It was sort of from their perspective, dollar signs, you know? Uh, but what mm -hmm. I, I said to them, well, uh, but I'm not an actor. And they said, you are now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I kind of was like, well, uh, it's not music, but okay. You know, it was just sort of, you know, Things happen mm -hmm. in life. And, you know, as you get older, you tend to question more. Hopefully you, you learn not to. And at that time, I just didn't question. I was just like, okay, well, this is just another road. Uh, and I, I, I gave it a shot. To be honest, though, when you asked me if it was fun, of course it was fun in more fun, I think, in retrospect, because at the time I was very I wasn't super comfortable on a movie set. I was com I was comfortable behind a piano or behind yeah. a microphone and I, I, no problem being on stage. I had at that point sang for thousands of people. You know, I've been I've been performing since I was 13 and, uh, you know, professionally on stages. So it wasn't that I was uncomfortable to perform in front of people. It's just I was uncomfortable to perform in front of people in a sense that I wasn't in my mind prepared for. You know, okay. and, yeah. and so it, it created a little bit of anxiety for me and, um, you know, and, and so I had to work through that. Uh, it, it was just odd. You know, here I was the singer all through junior high and high school and performing. And and now I'm I'm asked to read these these words off a page and be a character. So, you know, I hadn't gone to school for this. I didn't train for it. It was just sort of an 80s thing back in those days coming to age films like Porky's and Fast right. Times yeah. at Richmond High and, and High School USA. All these shows were, all these movies were, were like, you know, they were, they were part of the eighties. They were the DNA of movie making back then. And, um, you know, Hot Moves, which is another mm -hmm. movie that I, I actually was in. And, 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 uh, many of the films that I didn't get like Breakfast Club and, oh, wow. and, uh, Red Dawn. I was up for all those oh, movies. Wow. I met a lot of a lot of the people that were in those movies. Oh yeah, I could go on and on. I mean, it was it was at a time when uh, Michael Anthony Hall and and Jeff Bridges and and Tom C. Thomas Howell mm -hmm. and all these all these kids. We all knew each other because we were just actors and performers 
trying to get work in LA, but not all of us were famous um, or, or even knew that they were going to be. So it wasn't unusual that I would, I would be, you know, doing a scene with, uh, you know, Patrick Swayze, for example, or somebody. Um, and it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, make, oh yeah, I've seen you in something or mm-hmm. whatever, but you know, it wasn't for uh, many years later where they became, you know, yeah. household names. And back in that time period, a lot of movies were being made for kids, but for adults, right. if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And yeah. it was just sort of a, yeah, it's kind of a popular thing. And so there was a lot of work and, and, and it didn't really I guess it didn't seem to matter as much whether you were a an actor, um, you know, you fit the part, you looked young, you were part of that kind of thing. And they just threw you out there, was, you know, um, it was probably me most mostly that was uncomfortable and I probably didn't need to be. But I was young, you know, of course. No, that makes that makes complete sense. And I'm curious, like, especially with the type of films that you were involved with, you know, especially Karate Kid, huge cast of teens i mean obviously probably some of them in reality were maybe not strictly a teenager but that was kind of the group the the majority of the cast like how how was that dynamic with working with all these other young actors it was really competitive and and here's a little tidbit that's kind of interesting about the karate kid and we can get into this but um as you know, Karate Kid, or as you may know, you may not know, but some of your listeners will know that John Avildsen, the director of Karate Kid, was the original director for for Rocky One. Yes. And their you connection that. is <laughs> that connection is not well. This this is relevant to your question because that connection was not a coincidence. In fact, the majority of the people that worked on Rocky One, Jerry Weintraub, who produced it, his crew of people, and the people he wo- worked with were were purposely brought into the Karate Kid to give it sort of a Rocky vibe. And so it wasn't unusual uh, that there were a lot of crossovers and similarities and even musically, which we can even talk about later. It's it's just everything, the whole, just the entire makeup of Karate Kid was modeled kind of by, by the whole Rocky kind of thing. And John was the the director was very very um no, well he was well known for the steady cam. And mm-hmm. at the time the steady cam was this camera contraption that you could wear like a robotic kind of thing and you wouldn't have to touch it and you could jump up and down and it would stay in one place. And they wanted to use they used it on Rocky and they wanted to use that at the time groundbreaking camera device on Karate Kid. So they used it on all the tournament scenes and all the big fight scenes. Mm-hmm. And one thing about John was that he wanted a very adversarial kind of environment on on the set. Mm. So when oh, you ask okay. me what it was like to work with these kids, well, first yeah. of all, we were all kids. I know a lot of people look at that film and go, oh, those guys were probably in their 20s. No, no. We were all fresh out of high school. Okay. Most of us. I mean, there were a few. I mean, uh, I know Ralph Macchio is older than I am, but not by much. Mm. Um and I went. Uh, I, I went to uh, rival high schools with 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 Billy Zapka. I mean, he uh, he went to Hughes. I went to Taft. We knew fr- we had friends. I seen him on interviews uh, prior to to the Karate Kid. So you know, we were all just kids right out of high school. None of us had very much working experience at that time. The group of people that I was uh, that I my character was associated with was what we call Freddie's gang. And right. oh, okay. yeah, if you remember Freddie, he was the kid that. Um, Daniel LaRusso met 
um, at his apartment in Reseda. Mm-hmm. His uh, mm-hmm. neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Who invites him to the, he, he plays the pivotal role of getting him to that beach he, party. He's, yeah. He, yeah. He's sort of the, the reason why he, he, uh, was introduced to getting his butt kicked so many times. Yeah, I, exactly. I'm Freddie and I'm here to get this movie going. And I love right. that you actually made a point of saying butt kicked so many times because it does happen. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, well, yeah. And I was there for most of those butt kickings. Um, <laughs> in fact, I have that famous line you really pick fine friends to hang around with. Freddie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and is, his name's Israel, Israel Warby. And uh, we're still friends. I still talk to him. Um, oh, that's so what's interesting cool. is that there were a group of us. The Freddy's gang is Freddy or, you know, Israel. And there was Frankie Avalon Jr. There was oh. Tom Fridley. Tom Fridley was another one of us. His his he was uh, John Travolta's nephew. Huh. Um, huh. And uh, and then there was Ken Daly. That was another actor. And then myself. So there were five of us that that had this two week part. Now, it was supposed to be two weeks. But when I got onto the set, they extended my contract indefinitely. Wow! And I got excited. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually work on this movie." Because originally it was just a, a quickie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but no, they they ended up keeping us on as featured featured acting roles. I had parts. I had scenes. Uh, which actually got redacted as we went along. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that you had the Cobra Kai group. And to, 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 they made the right decision in the sense that they they needed to explore the characters of the bullies, and they really didn't need a whole group of kids that weren't necessarily part of that. Mm-hmm. And we were not um, we were not Cobra Kai. We were just kids that lived in the building that he went to school with. So we, although we had scenes, they were just sort of superf- superfluous. Can I say mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Um, you can say that's yeah. hard for me to say. <laughs> uh, they they were just sort of supplemental scenes, I guess, that didn't drive the story. Uh, and you know, in editing, a lot of that stuff got cut out, which yeah. was a bummer. Yeah, I mean, it um, seemed like they were like putting a premium on emphasizing this like isolation of. Ralph Ralph's character of Daniel. Mm-hmm. So Freddie's gang so. would have given him the support that they probably didn't want him to have. Because- I think that I think it was an afterthought. I think you're right. I think later it was discussed that wait a minute because it's interesting and I think a lot of people might find this interesting is that Ralph, I mean we we as a group of of actors we on the set we I, I think John John Avildsen created sort of a a, a an atmosphere of fear mm-hmm. on the set. He wanted people, if you were a bully, you didn't want the guys hanging out and having lunch with the guys that could potentially, you know, probably kick your ass after lunch. Right. So he wanted to kind of, he, he kind of, uh, um, encouraged to people stay in character. So it was kind of like method directing, mm. <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, I was scared to death. I was like, oh, shit, I got to go to work again. I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's. Because it was just like, it was literally like high school. I mean, I just got out of high school and now I'm right back into high school, but only uh, I, I was afraid to open my mouth half the time. It sounds I didn't like know we who I was uh, gonna... had the same high school experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, nothing bad ever happened right. because interestingly enough, when they said rap, I would go up to Frankie Avalon's house with Frankie Avalon Jr. and Billy Zapka and myself and we'd pick up instruments and we'd jam. Oh, that's great. You know, so, so we had, we, we were friends off the set, but when, when that, you know, when we showed up for work, hmm. it was like, I don't like you. 
It was weird. That's but it was it was acting. So we and Ralph. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Let me just say this. Ralph never associated with any of us. Wow. He was sequestered into a Winnebago from the day it started. I met him on the set during the scenes. I talked to him maybe three or four times in between takes, and that was it. He did not. He was not encouraged or perhaps even allowed to talk to any of the kids in high school that he went to high school with. I'm including the Cobra Kai's makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I mean, hearing what you're saying though, like I have such conflicted feelings because on the one hand, I'm sure that worked to like, there's, there's a reason why this film has, you know, continued to be such a huge part of culture and people it's so beloved And so obviously, you know, I get that that tactic worked, but at the same time, you know, it, it honestly just makes me kind of sad because you were kids. Well, you know, it's Hollywood, it's movie business and nobody really cares about whether you're a kid or not, if they're getting the product they want. And, and, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you're making a movie, you're, you're not really concerned about Joey's feelings over there, you know? Um, so, you know, it was a very, it, it was very interesting because the first movie I was in was called Hot Moose, mm-hmm. which you can still find on YouTube and, um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. don't, don't, don't get mad at me for watching it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't give you back, I can't give you back your 90 minutes. <laughs> when I, when I read the synopsis for Hot Ones, Hot Moves, Hot yeah. Ones is totally different. Hot Ones is different. It's funny. Uh, it looked like it was basically American Pie before American Pie became American Pie. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, American Pie, well, first of all, they had Eugene Levy in American Pie, which I wish we had in Hot Moves. Yeah, he's great. Um, he's a genius. You know, that guy's hysterical. And um, we we were basically, it was a very low budget movie, Hot Moves. And um, it was, I mean, there was a, f- a few actors that went on to do some some bigger roles from that. Jill Sholin was in it. Uh, who went on to do DC Cab with Mr. T? Oh, and um, yeah, there was there was a bunch of people that were connected to that movie that were kind of minor stars, uh, B celebrities and stuff that went on. But there was no there was no there was no leader uh, no star cast to, mm-hmm. to help pr- promote that movie. It was really a low budget kind of deal, but the atmosphere on the movie was fun Aww. and it was um, relaxed. And we weren't really directed, if you know what I mean. It wasn't like there was a dir- it, it, it was sort of like, here's your line. Just go. Go for it. You know? And it was like, oh, okay. Now, Karate Kid was a very different atmosphere. I mean, you were talking Columbia Pictures. It was yeah. Jerry Weintraub. For, for, I mean, come on. Uh, he managed David Bowie and Barbara Streisand and, and the Rocky films. And I mean, this guy was a major mogul. And so this, the movie, the two movies were night and day from how they were produced and, and approached. So being on the set of hot moves in the summer and then going to Karate Kid felt like, uh, I felt like I was going to, you know, detention, Yeah, you know? It, it was weird. It, it was just not, I was like, oh, I'm excited. This is going to be great. And then it was like, Shut up. Did your experience um, with Hot Moves kind of have an impact on your expectations when yeah. you then went to Karate Kid? Like, did you? Well, that, think, that was, like, yeah. yeah, that you you basically said it better than I did. That was my point. Yeah, I, I, I went to Karate Kid not anticipating it to be what it was. And it, yeah. it was a different kind of movie. And you know what? In retrospect, I'm really glad I had both experiences. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense why it was created the way it was created. But at the time when you're in the movie, you're, you know, unless you're, unless you're a producer or, or, you know, a lead actor or whatever, you're only, you're only in the, you're only told what you need to know. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're not, you're not given, you're not always given the bigger picture. And so, you know, you're left in the dark with a lot of stuff. So at the time it was, it was like, wow, this is, it's kind of a different vibe here. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, much, much more intense than yeah. hot, hot moves. It, it just from the, the trailer that I saw and, uh, you'll be happy to know there is a remastered trailer on YouTube <laughs> for it. Um, but on Bluetooth it, it, or something. Yeah. It's, uh, it looks like it takes place in Venice. It's supposed to be in Venice. I actually recognize a lot of the area like, Oh, this is very authentic. <laughs> um, it, it, well, it's interesting cause I think their second unit stuff, the, the, the team that, that, produced all of the Venice shots and the outtakes at the beginning of the film is the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Cause I, I, I watch it and go, Oh my God. I remember, remember when that was there. Remember Jody Maroney's remember that. Remember it's like a walk down memory lane, you know, I mean, of, I, of Venice Boulevard. We, we talk about some of these uh, 80 movies that are so beloved now. And I just wonder how different would the outcome be had, you know, had the environment not been what it was, would it, would it be something that was even noticeable to the viewer and would it have been a better experience for everyone involved? And I, I, I get the sense that at least there is a better awareness of that now. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they necessarily do anything or do as much about it on productions, but um, especially with, with like the child actor issues, um, I, I think there's at least a greater awareness of of those kinds of things now well, than than there were in I, the 80s. I but. think everybody is now everybody is super sensitive, right? Um, about everything. You hot, know, hot moves a, is not getting made in 2020. <laughs> oh God, are you kidding me? There is nothing PC about that movie. In fact, you know. There, there's even things in Karate Kid that you could say, ooh, yeah. that wouldn't yeah. fly today. And yeah. that's what I love about Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai, uh, if for those that don't know, there's a new series that's based on what happened after the Karate Kid. So it's like 30 years later. And the Cobra Kai series is really uh, actually pretty darn good. And um, what's interesting about it is they're not they're – not, uh, although the actors are the actors of today and they're younger, obviously, they're not – following that sort of you know don't hurt me i'm sensitive kind of stuff mm -hmm. they're yeah. they're kind of sticking with the 80s attitude of you know deal with it and um that that i really respect them for i think that i hope they don't change that going to netflix but that's that's an amazing feat in the era of pc you know i was going to ask you about that about your thoughts on cobra kai and is it kind of surreal to see something yeah. come back from from like yeah yeah, I yeah, and, and I've it seen is myself. Really I'm in. Well. I'm. I've seen myself in flashbacks. They do <gasps> flashbacks. Amazing. The That's first awesome. season, yeah, that <laughs> first season, I'm all over it because they were trying to get people up to date. So you know, okay. while uh, while Johnny Johnny is on the ground drunk one night, he passes out and he has flashbacks of of the, some of the tournament scenes and losing the fight and what he yeah. could do and why he you know you know kind of regrets and things and i'm like oh my god there i am there i am that's cool uh so yeah it, it brought back a ton of memories plus they used a lot of the cast that yes. and they're gonna i think uh, they're bringing elizabeth shoe back oh that's um, fantastic at some point so i mean you know they they're doing a great job with it they're not they're not they're not doing what if dare i say the will smith kind of situation or right jo the jaden smith um, they're not trying, yeah. or even Karate Kid 4, which just was, you know, with Hillary Swank or something. 
That's um, something that comes up a lot in our podcast. Was that because three or four? I don't remember. I, <laughs> I think, think that was three. Was three. So two yeah. was when they go back to Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three Okinawa. was yeah. when there's a new sensei at the Cobra Kai. Dojo. Right, there's right. Some new so it was guy four. And four, they said, we're just going to get a girl and we'll just have a girl. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So to me that those, those movies were, were just, oh, they're just, I don't know. They were really trying to milk a cow there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. But with Cobra Kai, they're not, they're not, they really created something fresh and new. And I'm, I'm very excited and very, you know, happy that they're, they're, they're successful. I think that. You know, a lot of other, um, you know, with ex- everybody wants to take advantage of exist- existing IP because they feel like it's yeah. a proven market. And that's why so many yeah. 80s a- entities are getting rebooted or what have you. Sure. But I think a lot Safe. of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people could, you know, maybe turn to Cobra Kai as a way to do that well, because like you said, I mean, they're they're. Usually Derek and I find a way in every single podcast, and I'm about to bring it up right oh, now, yeah. <laughs> of throwing shade at the reboot of like Poltergeist. That's one of our, yeah. you know, favorite 80s films. And right. and I mean, we won't even like sit down to watch the reboot. And and that's kind of what I think we're all talking about is this yeah. idea of like milking a cow. And and so I I'm so pleasantly surprised at the way that they've done Cobra yeah. Kai because it's actually a way to keep the story going and to do it in a way that well, has value. Well, through the years, uh, you may not realize, but through the years, there's been folklore and sort of a uh, a myth about or or, oh. or or an idea that was floating around on the internet for years is I like think, I think I know it, what you're about to bring up right, <laughs> is Ralph really the bad guy is, yes. is generally yeah. you know, because I mean he he used an illegal move to win a tournament yep. and and you don't you don't solve your your problems by fighting and and blah 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 and um <laughs> you know and and it kind of it kind of I love the I mean so the point is is that there's been a, a huge audience of people that were ruminating over this yeah and what ifs kind of scenarios well where is johnny now what would he be doing 30 years later did they grow up did they uh have kids what happened to them and so from that point from from that perspective the world is your you know you're open now Mm -hmm. to to explore anything and um they they were able to magically uh tap into that by pivoting from the original and that to me is got to be the smartest way to reboot a series instead of just trying to remake magic from 30 years ago yeah. Totally agree. Acknowledge that time has passed, that these characters have grown in some mm-hmm. way, and and you actually have to go through the potentially painful process of yeah. of continuing the story, not well, just pretending it didn't happen and starting over. But yeah, yeah. well, we, when you think about it, you know, in a two hour movie, you really don't have time if you're talking about um, what they were, you know, if if your if your goal is to express a certain. Um, you know, the, the karate used to, you know, Im- improve your life or whatever the goal was of of that. Y- you, you don't have time to get into why there's a bully and why there's mm-hmm. these problems. And what's beautiful about what they're creating with this is that, you know, the kid that wanted to beat Daniel up, Johnny, had a life. Why was he? Why was he? disturbed in the way he was and when you break that down you start to realize he's just a human being just like everybody else and he's getting an opportunity to explore a part that i think people kind of were like well it's a great movie but why why were these kids so mean to him and now we know 
you know, he was kind of abused as a child. They were mm-hmm. able to kind of like, you know, uh, reinvent his his background. And now what they've done, and I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but what they've done is they've allowed people to, or they, they've given uh, the characters, there's really no good and bad guy anymore because mm-hmm. in real life, everybody is multidimensional. Yeah. And, um, and so now you have this really um, you know, sort of uh, a much richer tapestry with characters that have depth because you have a series and not just a two-hour movie to try to tell a whole story. And uh, yeah, so no, I think they is, got um, that going for them. You know? That's definitely, you know, something that just wouldn't have been possible then with changes in, in technology and exactly. streaming services. It's it's, it's designed us, for the internet. It's perfect. Yeah, we we now have what are kind of like eight hour movies in some mm-hmm. cases that are just yeah. turned into eight one hour episodes or, or however, but it, it allows, uh, you know, the, the yeah. filmmakers, you know, st- making to, another to karate kid, making another karate kid wasn't going to work. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, even, even if it was based off the Cobra Kai version, they needed to explore these characters over a period of years. And now they got an opportunity to do that. And it's, it's created a whole new fan base and it's, it's uh, it's actually really a really interesting development. I think it does give me hope that there will one day be a spinoff of Freddy's Gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Israel about that, and you know he's been bugging them to, to do something with him. Now he has a chance because he got a lot more FaceTime than I did, and um, you know who's Billy? That's uh, my character. Who 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 is yeah. Billy? What, who cares? You know, um the fact that I had been there and put the work in and did all that, it, it doesn't really necessarily uh, um, equate to people knowing or caring about that character. So it's not likely I'll be brought back. Well, you never know. I mean, I'll say this much that as somebody who, you know, obviously adores eighties films to be able to bring back original characters for something that actually, you know, like we've all been talking about the, the awesomeness of Cobra Kai and and how well they've taken the story and have progressed it. I mean, I would be all in to see these oh, original characters and the like whole where cast. they've all gone. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I and I think that that's actually another reason why Cobra Kai has done so well because obviously I'm not the only person who feels this way. And I think that that's what has really brought people to this series is that yeah. well, I mean, yeah, they are they got yeah. Martin Cove. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to do Crease and they got him. Uh, obviously they got the two main characters. Um, they're going to bring Elizabeth shoe back. There's talk of that. And then there's, you know, there's, there's a, they had a bunch of the Cobra Kai guys that, that are, Mm -hmm. that make cameos all the time that are in it. So they've got most of it. Okay. They can't have Pat, unfortunately, you know? Yes. And that actually was because we have your whole music career to talk about. So (laughs) I wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to just ask one last question related to Karate Kid before we do kind of move over to that. And that is, you know, did you ever have a chance to have any kind of interaction with Pat? Or if not, did you get to make any kind of observations? Because, you know, he's kind of the one outlier in this story. Well, yeah. 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 To answer your question. Yes. Yeah, I, I got to speak with Pat actually quite a bit. We all did. Um, he was fantastic to be around. And mm. for the main reason is, uh, I told you there was this adversarial atmosphere, but Pat Pat never, never, uh, he just said, screw it. He's a funny guy. He was a comedian by, you know, by trade. I mean, that's what he was. And uh, 
he broke the ice all the time. He was a pleasure to be around. I, I have fond memories of just, he was sort of that one place you know that you could, if you were standing around waiting for whatever on a movie set, which is an unusual, and he was there, there'd be someone to talk to. He'd have something nice to say. He'd be making you laugh. He'd smile. And it was unlike anyone else on the, on the, on the set for me. And uh, so I, I always have fond memories of him. That is so good to hear. Yeah, that's <laughs> honestly awesome. And, it, and yeah. you know, again, kind of speaking to like a lot of people, I think, can be a little um, maybe dismissive of kind of these coming of age stories and these types of movies. But I mean, he was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance in this film. Yeah. Um, and Oh, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. Well, yeah, uh, he uh, he really, really, really worked to get that part. He was not their first choice. Uh, they um, they weren't really sold on the idea that Arnold from Happy Days was going to bring the kind of depth mm-hmm. to the character that they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, did they make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read um, that he interviewed or auditioned over five times uh, wow. before they finally said, yeah, that's the guy. He had a he had a huge hurdle to get past. Uh, he was not uh, known as a as a serious actor at the time, and he was an unproven entity in that in that area. He was you know a well known comedian, comic actor, and um, just wasn't their go to choice. And mm-hmm. you know sometimes. It's the oddest places where you find the right thing. And he, it, you know, you got you to gotta give him credit because he knew in his heart that this was a role for him and he wouldn't let it go. And uh, sure enough, he got nominated for an Oscar. So I honestly couldn't imagine anyone else in no, that. No, yeah. you can't, can you? It's just, you can't. He, he, he is the embodiment yeah. of, you know, of, of that character. It's interesting what you were saying about, you know, these types of performances coming out of somebody who's traditionally known for comedy. And I think that there, he he maybe was kind of one of the first to, I think, kind of prove that that aspect to his talent. Because like, actually, while you were speaking, one of the other like similar roles that I was thinking of is like Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Because same thing, he had been traditionally known as like this really kind of wacky comedic actor. And then he pulls in also an actually Academy Award winning yeah. performance. Yeah. And so sometimes Was these, that his first serious role? Um that's a great question. I don't think I mean, so. I, I think he had a, a couple had others. Some, but that's the first one that people were like, oh shoot, this guy can act. Yeah. He's like acting chops. Yeah. Or however yeah. you would put you know. it. So was Dead Poet Society before that? Oh I think oh, so. That's a good point. He was yeah. fantastic. Really point. That was one of my yeah. favorite movies was Dead Poet yeah. Society. Great point. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, there's that um the doctor movie that he was in. And then the, the, I can't remember. Patch the name Adams. Yeah. Patch Adams. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And there was a yeah. bunch of others that, that he was just phenomenal actor. I'm just unbelievable. He's, yeah, he's another one. These that comedic just, actors don't get their, their chance sometimes or their, or the credit deserved yeah. for, for being able to do these kind of really layered performances. Yeah. But Okay. So okay. <laughs> I think perhaps, I know we just have so much that I, I wanted to make sure we get everything in. Um, I think maybe one of the most perfect transitions that I've ever been able to bring up for somebody that we've had on the show is the fact that the song, The Moment of Truth, right, 
The theme song to The Karate Kid was actually created by the band that you are a part of. Yeah, 30 years later. I know. Crazy. wild. And if I understand correctly, you were in the music video for that song. Yeah, by by virtue of being in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I wasn't, (laughs) you know, they didn't say, hey, Jeff, you want to be in the video? They they use scenes (laughs) from the movie in which I'm in for the the song to sell the movie. Um, Now, I'll I'll give you some background on that. It's kind of interesting because you said created. So that that segues into a perfect... uh, chance for me to kind of give you this little bit of trivia. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the moment of truth. Now we, let's start with the, let's start with Rocky three. Now yes. Rocky three, we all know the eye of the tiger and yes. um, Rocky three came out in what? 83 or 82. I think 82, 82, 82. Mm-hmm. Right. So by the time we were filming Karate Kid, it was 1983. And the, that song was, you know, just a monster hit. And, um, they were uh, part of that whole Jerry Weintraub group of people that he knew. His record company, Scotty Brothers, the record com- their record company, Scotty Brothers, that they were on. They all knew each other. They're all, you know, kind of a tight knit group. And and uh, obviously, Jerry Weintraub wanted the success of the Rocky series to bleed over, uh, you know, with Karate Kid. And so they wanted the same band with the kind of a similar formula to do the theme song. Now, so so the story is, uh, so, so the guys in Survivor said, well, great, we got a song for you. And they're like, no, 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 we got a song for you. And they didn't write huh. Moment of Truth. They were kind of <gasps> obligated to do it. Wow. And um, the Moment of Truth was written by Bill Conti and Peter Beckett. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bill Conti, who wrote, the, you know, the Gonna Fly from Rocky. Now. Yeah. Da, 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 da. That's amazing. Wow. Well, it's not so much amazing when you think that he was the same guy doing all the music for Karate Kid. Oh, wow. He, yeah. He was the that guy actually... that did all the underscore. and all, not, not talking about the songs. We're just talking about the okay. music that's mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. He did that. And he worked with a, a songwriter. Peter Beckett from Player, Baby Come Back. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, the two of them wrote Moment of Truth. And okay. um, it was already kind of done and, and, and everything. And Survivor was said, well, we want you guys to do a theme song. And they were like, okay, great. We got songs for you. And they forced him to do Moment of Truth. So funny story is when I met them and I finally, you know, started working with them, I said, you know, you know, we do uh, Ro- we do uh, Eye of the Tiger, Rocky Three. We do Burning Heart, Rocky Four. They had mm-hmm. you know the theme for Rocky uh, Four. And I said, well, you know, as in Karate Kid, we got to do Moment of Truth, right? Yeah. And they're like, no, <laughs> oh! <laughs> and don't bring it up again. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, why? And when they explained to me, we didn't write that song. Did you see it on one of our records? I'm like, no. And like, well, there's your answer. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I would have treated it like that. I mean, I think it's a fan favorite. Sure. It's kind of cool to do all the yeah, movie songs that you did. But hey, yeah. it's their career. And, yeah. You know, it's their prerogative. But I thought it was kind of funny, you know, that, uh, well, and I would say to Frankie Sullivan, who's the guitar player, he's the original guitar player, wrote Eye of the Tiger. Uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm in your music video for for the trailer for for Moment of Truth, and uh, they they thought that was amusing, uh, right? <laughs> that didn't that didn't move the needle for me to get to play that song. Uh, 
Because I get asked that all the time. <laughs> you guys gonna you well know, okay play moment of truth and I, I have to decline say no we're not gonna play that oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious i mean okay so you brought up um just a few moments ago i have the tiger i just want to really quickly kind of and i mean i can't imagine this scenario but for individuals who you know want to identify with like this band survivor i mean this is a band that has had longevity over the course of about 40 years at this point point. Yeah. And in particular, have had this, I mean, I'm like looking at all of these hit songs that this band has yeah. had. You mentioned I Have the Tiger. I mean, theme, like you said, theme, theme song for Rocky, double platinum. Two theme songs for Rocky. One. Oh, yeah. 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 There was I Have the Tiger and Burning Heart and Rocky Four. For Rocky Four. Burning Four. Heart is great, by the yeah. way. It's That's definitely, a, and, you know. And we definitely do that song. Yeah, it's, I mean, these songs are amazing. Timeless. Yeah. Timeless. I mean, Eye of the Tiger, it was the number two single of 82. Um, it, I mean, Survivor won Best Rock Performance by Yeah, they got, an, they got a Grammy yeah, for that. That's right. Exactly. And a People's Choice Award. And a People's Choice Award, too. Yeah, I mean, people, I mean. I, and they were nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, just like, the, it's it has thrived for several it's, decades. It's it's so thrilling to play that song for people. It's unbelievable <laughs> the energy that when we play that song, um, you know, it, it, it you could have ten thousand people in the audience and it, it just they're nuts. It just goes how long, crazy. Uh, how long does it take? I mean, assuming you just kind of like get into the song, how how long does it take for people to recognize that you're playing that song? About one point two milliseconds. Exactly. <laughs> All you have exactly. to hear is this. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> they they know they know. I mean, and and you know the the way the the way Survivor has you know played that song through the years hasn't really changed much. They 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 keep it as the usually a closer, mm-hmm. or or it's, you know pretty much it's the the closer, and um they uh, they'll milk it a little bit. And, and, and people, some people really just want to hear that song. And uh, how can you blame them? I mean, you know, it, exactly. it, it's so powerful. Well, between all of these hits that especially came up in the 80s, between Eye of the Tiger, Burning Heart, The Search is Over, High on You, Is This Love, I Can't Hold That. <laughs> I mean, you could keep going. It's amazing. So all of these songs came out at a time when you were a teen. And now you are part of this band. I mean, I'm still a teen. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm curious, like, well, before you were, you know, inducted into this band, I mean, were you a Survivor fan? How did you feel about joining well, this band that had all sure. these amazing hits that you grew up with? Well, interesting, uh, you know, through the years, of course, I knew who Survivor was and, you know, but I was a fan of so much music. I mean, I, I, uh, I identified with, um, you know, everything from, you could say, Pink Floyd, Phil Collins, Brian mm-hmm. Ferry, Trevor Horn. I mean, it just goes it, the gamut. Elton John, um, bands like Foreigner, Ario Speenwagon, Survivor, all the, they were all in all in my record collection. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't that, you know, that I idolized them, uh, but mm-hmm. they were part of my soundtrack, you know, and and that that was really kind of cool. And I will tell you this, I don't know if other musicians will admit this, or I, I don't know, because I, I haven't talked to them in detail about this, but I'll admit, you know, 
for me, when I play the survivor material, I don't, I don't think about me. I, I, I feel like I'm a steward of history mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I feel, uh, uh, you know, an obligation to, to, um, to kind of maintain the brand and make sure that people are hearing what they remember. And so mm-hmm. the pressure is on for me to, um, to be uh, honest with the material and not try to skew it in any way that my interpretation of it, you know, and there's a challenge there. It's, it's, it's challenging because they use different instruments of the time. They, it was different. Yeah. Mm. There were different ways of approach, approaching keyboards in, in the eighties that you, than you do now. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of nerdy things that I have to, you know, be aware of keyboard wise for me to feel authentic you know, to give people that authenticity that I feel it deserves. And so I, I kind of feel very, um, I'm very fortunate to be given that opportunity. But I, like I said, I feel more of a, uh, you know, someone that's watching over a brand, so to speak, you know. Responsibility. Yeah, I feel I have this responsibility. And I, and I think that's what makes, makes it uh, a, a challenge, you know, for me. No, that's... That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's a really interesting approach to the music. And I'm curious, like, before before you joined the band, were – well, okay, I'm just <laughs> going to put it out there. Was there a song that was your favorite? Yes. And then there were – was there a song that was not your favorite? Like, did you have any that, <laughs> well, like <laughs> – my favorite song of theirs is The Search is Over. Uh, it, okay. And it makes sense. And first of all, it's a – absolutely beautiful ballad but i get to play piano you know Mm -hmm. and and uh uh, a lot of their songs that have keyboards in them are some are some are absolutely beautiful um you know with piano but a lot of them are are parts you know there's it's the 80s pads and 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 stabs and things with with the search is over you know you can be a pianist and and so it's in a rock song so Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool i i enjoy playing that song Mm -hmm. a lot and i liked it when it came out i mean you know, just as much. So, um, is there a song I don't like, you know, uh, to be, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, like I'm pandering or anything, but they have so many amazing songs that I even was not aware of. They do. You know, uh, when I look back on their nine albums, <clears throat> I mean, there's songs on there that are just gems, unbelievably re- well-crafted mm-hmm. pop songs. And I think any one of these could have been a hit. You know, and so there's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, when we go, when we go out, Frankie is pretty much deciding what we're going to play. And he's a real, um, kind of, kind of a vibe guy, you know, uh, it, it, he, he doesn't put anything down on paper or on in stone until the moment we get on stage. So we never know what he's going to pick. And, um, now we know we won't, <laughs> what he won't pick because I mean, you know, I, it's not like I learned a hundred songs. Um, and the, you know, but we have a, a pretty large variety of songs from all the albums and, um, I won't know what he's going to pick until we go on stage and I see a set list sitting there. And a lot of that has, I mean, we always know that we're going to play high on you. We always know we're going to play high in the tiger. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want to be lynched. <laughs> Can you imagine going to a Survivor concert and not hearing that song? You, somebody's going to no, somebody's going to get hit. Um, I mean, there are there are certainly bands that have had hits that have become so huge yeah, they just don't want to no, play. No, that's it not anymore. the case here. No way. And so, 
Yeah, <laughs> he wouldn't have a choice even if he loved. Well, First of all, he loves the song, and he's. I'm sure it's a highlight for him too. Um, but so to, to answer yeah. your question, I, I I can't say. I mean, sure, there's songs I like more than others, but I was actually surprised that mm-hmm. there's a lot of songs I never heard of because uh, I didn't own every one of their albums when I was six, seventeen years old. Um, so mm-hmm. I've I, there's songs on some of those albums that I'm just really drawn to that I like. Wow, we should be playing this one. Holy wow! And um, so there's songs I might prefer more than others. But High on You Never Gets Old, um, Can't Hold Back. Oh, my God. What a great song. Mm-hmm. Great transitions in that song. Eye of the Tiger. Actually, Eye of the Tiger, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. I probably like it the least. Interesting. Uh, not, it's not, well, it's not a keyboard song. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, it's not really much for me to do. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, there's some keyboard parts, but they're, they're just very uh, supportive stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a guitar song, mm-hmm. you know, and vocal song, really. And... Um, but it's such a thrill to see the audience at the end of the show to, to culminate to that to that uh, point that it's still a thrill, you know. Um, but from a perspective of a player, it's more fun to play Surges Over or High and You or, uh, you know, Can't Hold Back or, uh, you know, any one of the any one of the songs that we play. Feels like love. Any any of the any of the songs that because they have a lot more keyboards. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, you brought up something just a moment ago that I thought was really interesting. In terms of, you know, again, this is a band that's been around for several decades. I can't imagine the the breadth of the catalog of songs that you could potentially be responsible in an evening, especially if you maybe aren't aware of what you're going to even be playing until moments before you start performing. What is mm-hmm. what is that process of beginning to learn all those songs? Is that something that you're kind of doing on your own? Is it something that happens in sessions with the band as a group? Yeah. Yeah, it happens on your own. Okay. I mean, you're expected to come. Well, at least with my my experience, uh, you know, you show up ready to go. Okay. And, you know, I've been in a lot of bands through the years, and that's pretty much the, the rule of thumb anyway. I mean, you do your homework at home. And, uh, you know, you may have to adjust some things or tweak some things or change things, but you pretty much with respect to, with respect to survivor, because of the legacy that they have. Mm -hmm. And because of the the fact that if you're a true survivor fan, you're going to know the parts, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be expecting to hear certain parts a certain way. So there really isn't a whole lot of wiggle room for you to, to change. And you're not looking to do that anyway. That's not what the gig is. Um, what's beautiful about Survivor and one of the reasons why it's always a thrill to play with them is they allow me, uh, an opportunity to do my own thing Hmm. on the stage. Uh, I get a, uh, I get a solo, um, uh, a piano solo that starts the searches over and I'm usually on stage by myself. That's awesome. So, um, it's a cool story if you don't mind uh, about that. It's kind of funny how that happened. Um, it was my first gig with them. I remember and uh, hadn't played anything with them before other than rehearsals. And so I get, uh, we're at soundcheck and I'm playing, we let's hear the searches over. So we start playing and he's hold on. Uh, you know, Frank says to me, Hey, can you play a little piano to get us into that song? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I play a little something. He goes, no, 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 no longer. Okay. <laughs> I play a little longer. No, no, you'll figure it out. I'm like, okay. So I'm obviously, <laughs> maybe I'm not, I don't know what I wasn't doing that he wanted to hear, but I figured it out. So what happened was, we get up on stage. Just it's a pretty pretty nice size room, about twenty five hundred people, 
it was it was my first show with them. They hadn't played with me either. You know, this was it. And I get on stage and it comes time to do the searches over. And before I touch the keys, all the lights go down in the in the in the theater and everybody got off stage and a spotlight came on me. <gasps> wow. And, and you I'm didn't like, know that was gonna happen. Okay, two thoughts went no, had no idea. Two thoughts went through my mind. One, holy shit. Number two <laughs> was snap out of it. <laughs> and I quickly uh, was like, okay, they left the stage. It's my show now. So I went into this piano thing that I just kind of lost myself in. And uh, the audience went nuts. And uh, it, it worked really well. And uh, and then Cameron, the new singer, Cameron Barton, who's 25, he's unbelievable singer oh. we can, I can tell you more about him in a minute but he comes on stage while I was ending it and we went right into the searches over and the crowd went berserk hmm. and they've left that in every time so I, I always get an opportunity to 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 do something that survivor never did so and correct me if I'm wrong but you said that that was that experience that was your first time performing with them <laughs> yeah I mean I thought it was crazy not for me because you hey you can you can you know, throw rocks at me. I'm going to keep playing. I, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid, but I was more concerned for them. I was like, they don't know me. <laughs> well, that's you know, I was like, so wow, cool these guys got, that. these guys got some, uh, cojones, you know, they don't, they, yeah. they don't, seem to, uh, they don't, they're, they're willing to, uh, take a risk on somebody. And I, I, oh. I really respected that. And it, I, it, it actually made me even stronger. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly like I think that that is such just a really cool story and such a cool way of showing your trust in a new member of the band. Yeah, they and, obviously yeah. had all of yeah. the trust, yeah, and confidence in you to do that. They and, must have, uh, yeah, exactly. And that's that was my takeaway, and it just made me feel even more emboldened to do a good job, you know. Exactly, I love that. That's a great story. That's a great story. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you showed that. Thank I'll you. I'll never forget that. It was the most exhilarating time, and, and and it's funny too because every time that that piece comes up, I mean, I get a little nervous because mm -hmm. you know, like I said, people aren't there to see Jeffrey Bryan as much as I wish they were. You know, they're there to see Frankie. They're there to see, uh, you know, high on you and and can't hold back and of course the eye of the tiger they, they, you know do they care about me i'm not a celebrity in the sense that you know i came from say ario speedwagon i'm playing with them or something um so you know it's really 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 nice to to get an opportunity to to be jeff uh and do jeff and uh and see the people actually respond to that so it's given me a lot of confidence too i i i cherish that i mean maybe they weren't there to see you that first time, but after seeing right. that first time, I mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if after that subsequent shows, people were showing up just uh, because they were so affected by that performance. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say that, but I would say, you know, <laughs> I mean, that, no, I'm not, I, I understand what your point is. And I, you know, would like to think that, but I think what happens is it just makes the unit stronger, yes. you know, it makes the whole show a little bit more impactful and people go, wow, we got to go see them. They're, they're still pretty good that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, also, I think, I mean, to your earlier point about feeling like you have a responsibility to kind of faithfully um, put out as people remember these songs and these performances, I, even if they perhaps don't know the band members by name or what have you, the appreciation as a fan to knowing that the, the individuals in the band feel that way means everything. 
because yeah 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 i you know i've gotten a few maybe much to their chagrin i don't know i've gotten a few standing ovations on my solos you know because people people come to a survivor show expecting to see to hear and you know and and sing along with the hits they're not expecting to be entertained by a keyboard player Mm-hmm. And so when they see somebody going and playing a, a solo or something uh, that isn't part of the playbook, I think that um, it enhances their their uh, experience in a way that they didn't expect. And I think that's what they're responding to, which is fine with me. I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. to, to be able to do it. It's a compliment. Well, when... Uh, when the world gets back to oh, please. some sort of normalcy, I know what tickets I'm going to buy <laughs> when I have the opportunity to. We will be there. Well, six, I'll let you guys six know. Six foot of space in between <laughs> yeah. us and anyone else. Oh, yeah. I know. It's that, hard. That's... You know, I was oh, uh, I was about to board a plane in March. I was literally out the door. Bags were packed. And um, the phone rang and they said, don't get on the plane. Wow. And we figured it'd be a couple weeks. Here I am. I'm still standing yeah. in front of the door with my bags packed. Like a dog waiting for his owner to come home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds sad. No, no. I mean, that's... Much like a dog. It feels like years. Yeah. yeah. In dog <laughs> exactly. years. Yeah, it's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> well, okay. So this is a little silly, but sure. one thing that I wanted to bring up is the fact that Survivor has some really amazing music videos from the 80s. And I don't yeah. I don't know how much you have, you know... What I I I've seen them all, and I think they're all super awesome. And I don't know if like has there ever been discussion among the band about like recreating some of those videos <laughs> or doing a new take on them. Like I'm just I'm very curious because obviously there's this like really iconic '80s element yeah. to all the videos, but they're so they're so fun to watch. Yeah, I, I you know those are like little slices of time. Mm-hmm. You know, they take you right back, just like the movies, you know, that we were talking about. Uh, you know, no, I can't really say that they've discussed doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing they did that uh, I wasn't a part of, but uh, Starbucks hired them to do uh, um, an ad and they actually brought Uh-oh. the whole band back together. And um, uh, I don't know if you remember, but they did a spoof on the Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> Uh, oh yes, uh, actually yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. didn't um, you know? It's like Joe, like an- Joe, 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 you know, or something like that. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah. That's right. I, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I feel like um, I think that won some kind of award. Yeah, I think for- it did. Well, it, 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 yeah, yeah. It 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 was it was really tongue in cheek, and it was amazing right. that they agreed to do that because, uh, you know, Frankie is a very um private guy. And he's, he's not really, um, you know, he, 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 he's happy to discuss the past and talk about it, but he, you know, he's, he's not real nostalgic in that sense where he wants to repeat Mm. the past and the fact that, and, and he also knows that the eye of the tiger was without that song, you know, they may still have had a few hits maybe, but as Jim Peterick, the original, uh, the other original member of survivor says, you know, they had a $10 million dollar video to go along with the eye of the tiger because of rocky so you know yeah. they, they almost had a a sure chance of of having a hit song no one had ever anticipated that that song lasts 40 years and probably forever and um so it's it's really a testament to you know 
the point is, is that they, they hadn't, they, they, they typically don't do that. kind. They weren't real video mm-hmm. guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, it was really kind of cool. But to answer your question, no, uh, there hasn't been any discussion of doing any kind of video. I mean, I, I suppose they would if we got around to writing some new material. And there's yeah, been talk yeah. about a new album. Frankie's been talking about that since I've met him. It was part of the reason why they brought me in is they didn't want just a keyboard player. They wanted somebody that had some songwriting. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, there's a chance that I, I'll be honest, if this COVID thing didn't hit when it did, we actually might have a different conversation right now about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything's up in the air right now. And my whole world is, is got a big question mark hanging over it right now. Yeah. Well, w- one question that actually, I don't know why it sparked now, but um, that kind of is like a little bit of a crossover between, you know, your film background and then obviously your music career is, have you ever had a conversation with anybody else in the band about, you know, it seemed like Sylvester Stallone really championed Survivor. Yeah. Because at least in the research that I came across, you know, it was him who kept wanting the band to be involved with the songs that were being made for Rocky. Do you know where that relationship initiated? Well, I can only tell you what they've told me and what I've read. Uh, You know, obviously there's multiple stories out there. I know Jim Peterick, for those that don't know, uh, uh, the the band was started by Jim Peterick. And um, he was the first member. Uh, He was also a member... He had another band with a, a big hit called Vehicle uh, at the time, and he started a new rock band, and the first member he got was Frankie Sullivan, and the two of them wrote all the songs. They were song- It was sort of a Lennon-McCartney relationship, and everybody else in the band kind of came and went, including the singers. Uh, so it, I'm not saying that they weren't important from, uh, you know, from a, um, from a, fans point of view they were important but they weren't the driving force of the creative force it was frankie and it was jim and jim tells a story where you know uh sylvester stallone was talking to people that uh knew uh, uh their record company and said i i i'm having trouble finding a song for this piece they wanted to use uh, another one bites the dust but queen wasn't having it uh, they just didn't want to release the license to a Rocky movie from the U.S. Uh, How different that would have been. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was Queen. Very. They were already Queen, you know. Mm-hmm. So they didn't feel any kind of urgency to, to release the license to that song. And um, so they gave the song to um, to to Survivor because uh, apparently Frank had heard, not Frankie, uh, Sylvester Stallone heard the song um, – Poor Man's Son. I couldn't think of the name. Sorry. Oh, okay. Poor, okay. Poor Man's Son off their first record. And Poor Man's Son was had a kind of similar vibe to Eye of the Tiger. Now, it was obviously years prior, written years prior to that. So um, they he heard that song and said, write me a song like this. Here's the song I wanted to use. And uh, they, they, got a, they, got a, um, they got a piece of the film to go by. And one of the lines in the movie is, uh, is the... Uh, I forgot his name, the actor's name. I don't think he's alive anymore, but the, the guy that uh, was training. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot his name. Rocky. Yeah. Um, Carl Weathers. Yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, yeah, you're losing the eye of the tiger. Yeah. Eye of the tiger, baby. You know, you're, <laughs> you're losing. And they're like, there's our title. And and they, they wrote the song around that. And it just, the rest is history. But but yeah, I, apparently Stallone had... Uh, had been become aware they put out like i said they they've been around i hadn't said this they were around since 1978 they had a couple mm-hmm. albums they had a small hit in the midwest um 
I think it was Rebel Girl was like a little radio hit. And, you know, they, they were just a struggling little rock band that were writing some cool songs. <laughs> and just like me landing Karate Kid, they landed Rocky. I mean, who would have thunk? You know, they could have had anybody. Right. You know? And so I don't know if I answered your question. I'm, <laughs> no, you absolutely yeah. did. You absolutely did. Because I was always just really curious. Yeah. I thought that was really cool, too, that, you know, and look, things happen for a variety of reasons. And whether you want to call it like kismet or, kismet or luck or whatever, yeah. like, I'm just glad it happened. Well, I'm because, sure they're glad it happened. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Because um. <laughs> we got to have like some really awesome songs out of that. Yeah. So, But I, I've shared fantastic. I've shared so many um, commonalities with them through the years that I didn't know. Like uh, there was a recording studio called Rumbo Recording Studio and it was owned by uh, Daryl Dragon, who is uh, Captain Tennille. He was the captain. And uh, back in the the mid 80s, I was in a band called The Reach uh, with a guitar player named Patrick Bolin who was in Pure Prairie League and played with Kim Carnes. And we were in a band together. And he knew Daryl and Daryl liked our demos and gave me the stu- gave us the studio to record uh, some songs free of charge. Wow. And it was the same recording studio they were recording Vital Signs in. Oh, wow. Uh, around the same time period. Vital Signs, you know, the, with, with High on You and, yeah. and Can't Hold Back and all those great songs. Um, so Survivor may have been walking out the door <laughs> when I was walking in. That's amazing. And, and here's another weird connection. Daryl was very nice, man. I mean, he passed away a few years ago, and he was a fantastic keyboard player. I was always in awe of him. But he was such a sweetheart. I mean, he, was, he really didn't – you didn't look at him and think he was a big star. He was just a really kind gentleman. And uh, uh, we were in rehearsal years later now. I was in rehearsal with him many years, a couple years ago, and I was playing um, – I was playing this. Uh, can you hear that? Yeah. The beginning of Poor Man's Son, and it's on a Wurlitzer. And um, uh, Frankie says to me, you know who played that? And he told me it was Daryl Dragon played it on the record. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so, I mean, I've had these like little yes. like near misses with them. And uh, I, you know, there's others, too. They're just sort of weird coincidences that um, – you know, I can't make up, you know, and it's just funny how the, and now the karate kid has come back full circle for me. I mean, I'm hearing from people I haven't heard from in 30 years, Israel, Frankie Avalon Jr. You know, we're, we're talking again, you know, I haven't talked to these people since I was 20 and, um, or at least, you know, kept up some of those relationships. Right. And, uh, so karate kids come around full circle. I'm in the band now that has played, that played the theme song and, it's sort of like I, I never really left. It was sort of like that circles followed me. That little bubble has followed me everywhere, you know. I mean, it's just my own little thinking of it. But uh, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of fascinating to me to think that you know how far I've traveled or whatever I've done. I really haven't gone that far, you know. I'm still the same people that I'm sort of that that I was introduced to in my early teens and early twenties, you know, I late mean, teens, early. I, 20s. I know that I'm fascinated by that because, again, when we were researching for this episode, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) All these crossovers between Karate Kid and Survivor and then even like these like outliers of like Rocky, like it it, and the director that you meant, you know, so it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this has been honestly just uh, 
amazing to to have had you on the show. I mean, thank you again, like all the stories that you've told us and just all the cool things that, you know, otherwise nobody would have ever known about your experience on the film and your experiences with the band and otherwise. And yeah, um, it's it's been great. So thank you so much for your time, Jeffrey. And I just, you know, I know that we were talking about how it's obviously strange times right now. For uh, everybody. Yeah. But um, I wanted to just ask, you know, out, I mean, outside of prior film work and your time with Survivor, I mean, I know you, you're always working on other things. And I wanted to see what you were up to right now. Well, um, like a lot of people, you know, um, I'm not able to do, I'm not able to tour. Yeah. I'm not on the road. You know, I'm not, on, I'm not only in uh, Survivor. I was going to say Karate Kid. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm also in other bands. So, uh, you know, I'm in a band called the KTEL All-Stars, oh. uh, which you might want to check out. It's the KTEL, like K-T-E-L, All-Stars okay. with mm-hmm. an S, dot com. Uh, it's a band that's uh, kind of a little labor love project that um, we we accurately recreate the songs of 1970, 1979 AM hits. Yes. Um, and wow. it's, you know, I get to sing a lot in that band and it's nice. a lot of fun. Uh, and that's a really fun band, but that's another band that got grounded and that band toured almost as much as survivor. Oh, wow. We, we go all over the country. Yeah. And, um, so anyhow, that, that, that band's not happening either, but I wanted to mention it in the meantime, uh, like a lot of people I've, I've sort of, this is going to, we're going to emerge from this period with a whole bunch of, of creativity. I mean, mm-hmm. so many people are just going inward. So I, I had a lot of songs. I, through the years I've, you know, published songs and, you know, wrote for other, you know, try to write songs for other artists. And, and, and of course I, I still do, um, some film and TV stuff. Um, so I have a bunch of songs that I wrote that I hadn't finished mostly because there was no urgency to finish them. And I was on the road a lot anyway. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own record. I'm going to put out, uh, these songs and finish them. So that's something I'm working on right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm in the middle of recording, so I'm 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 doing that. Nice, that's as much as I can. Every moment of every day. <laughs> yep, yep. Every day you do a little something. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey Bryan, thank you again for your time with us. Yes, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all of your experiences and work on the Karate Kid and with Survivor. It's been yeah, uh, such my a pleasure. great time. Yeah, it's fun. Been great talking to you guys too, and and you're you're a lot of fun to talk to. So it was easy. Oh, uh, well, thank you. You're welcome. That's the best compliment. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. And so we are back after having had our amazing conversation with Jeffrey Bryan. Thank you so very much, Jeffrey, for being on the show. We really, again, appreciated your time and all these awesome stories that you had to tell us. And it was just honestly so cool to, in in particular, in terms of his own career, talk about all the like crazy crossover. Yeah, that was that was insane. I am still hoping for one more crossover, which is... I still want to see a streaming series of Freddy's Gang. Oh, totally. I mean, like, let's just start the campaign right now. Then the crossover will be complete. Yeah, of getting Freddy's Gang on Cobra Kai. Like, let's do this. I don't see why we shouldn't. I don't see why we shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. So to to the people out there who are behind the series, let's make it happen. Um, But yeah, it it was really cool. There's just like so many 
80s crossovers between Karate Kid and Rocky and Survivor. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. I thought it was interesting, you know, when he talked about they wanted to make the Karate Kid, like all these parallels and similarities between the two Using the same director. Yeah, well, they did... They did one thing similar in which they kind of like as they went through the franchise, they just kind of kept diluting it a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> each time. And it was uh, interesting that he, you know, I think he's a purist. Like I think us. so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, like at the top of, you know, our conversation with him kind of uh, going along the same lines. I was like, uh, it's it's the first film, the 84 film. That I detected is- uh, I detected a strong preference for the 1984 version of the Karate Kid. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else to say because it just, it was awesome. Uh, Really thrilled to have had this opportunity and hopefully we'll have more opportunities like that where we get to have somebody who has like a really unique perspective on one or more of the films that we cover. Yeah. So what's coming up next? What's coming up next is your pick, my friend. Hmm. Okay. I think I know what it is. And I think my initial surprise was that this was an 80s movie because I don't really think of Tim Burton's Batman as an 80s movie. I mean, it slid right in there. It's 89. So it, it like, did it release in like December of 89? Probably not. Probably a, a summer, probably a summer movie. Because I have not yet done my research on this <laughs> film. I do not know the release date. I want to say, though, it's probably a summer release. Yeah, no, it's pro- a probably, probably was. It yeah. doesn't feel like an 80s movie, but then, you know... I've seen parts of it recently, and I kind of realized, yeah, okay, it it kind of does. But I think mm-hmm. just because of the, the the Batman thing, that really reignited a lot of the the superhero type of films, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. Well, first of all, it had its sequel, which actually I love just as much. Unfortunately, we can't cover that one because that came in in the nineties. Oh, but too bad. absolutely loved Batman Returns with Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer. I thought yeah. that that was just as good if not better to be a little uh controversial that is that is a little controversial yeah um so that's my favorite of the whole the whole kit and caboodle of that first kind of series of batman movies because then we move into joel schumacher some of the other ones and yeah yeah yeah, i'm sure we'll get into uh some of the sequels when we when we have our guest on and definitely about these but yeah so it'll it'll be a lot of fun so um Normally, our our podcasts come out, our episodes come out every two weeks. Mm-hmm. But because of this awesome bonus episode, you're going to get to get to Batman even sooner. So be on the lookout for that next week. It depends on where you are in, in listening to any of these. But yeah. Okay, true. They'll both be Very available. Within... They'll just be always there for you whenever yeah. you're ready. Yeah, that's why it's a bonus because you're getting a little more. That's right. Yeah. So on that note... On that note, we will uh, try to do better next time, (laughs) as always. Take care, everybody. uh, We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.